This is a crowd podcast. Jumps over the table as a wrestle with Huey, who's dressed as a Joker. If Liam Smith stood up and said the same thing, would it have the same effect? Okay, this guy means business. That's a great presser. Pre Ali. Yeah, I've done that one this time. Next time I'm going to push him. Red tops, love it. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Hello, Deck. Hi, George. How are you? I am brilliant, Deck. How are you? I'm very well, actually, yeah. Have we had any messages in? We have. We've had a load of messages, actually, and if you've got something to say, get us on the socials and all that, emails, all of that. Someone who got in touch with Dave Mitchell. Someone you know? Don't know Dave. Dangerous Dave Mitchell. But he said, and I quote, if Declan Taylor 87 doesn't get knighted for getting Frank Warren to play a quiz with the answer... Lord of the Flies at Low, there's no justice in this world. And I, for one, backed Dave Mitchell's campaign to get me knighted for that. <laughs> it was pretty good. Lord of the Flies at Low. I've had a few messages from people going, how the fuck did you get Frank to play that game? <laughs> in reality, it's because his back is so sore, he couldn't really move once he sat down. Yeah, and all he's been doing is reading yeah. for the last He was great on that bit. He knew all the books. But yeah, Lord of the Flies at Low, uh, 1984, man. There were some bangers in there. Fifty Shades of Grey, Mel. That was a creeper. Yeah. I like that. That was very That good. was a great one. But he was a great sport, wasn't he? If you haven't listened to that two-parter with Frank, it was one of the best we've done. Someone else has been in touch. Now, this is a very special message, actually. This is a this is one that got the um the group chat going a bit. We got a message from Brad Pauls, mm-hmm. right? The Nuki Bomb. He said, All right, guys, massive fan of the pod. Your Shreds episodes took me through my camp. Was really helpful. Always listen to and from the gym. Just wanted to say you guys are smashing it. Thanks, Brad. Question for George. How did you handle your first loss? Any advice? I took my first loss. Thank you, guys. So he boxed Tyler Denny for the English middleweight title earlier this month in Wembley Arena and he lost on points unanimous decision mm. and in the wake of that he's been in touch is he 16 and 0 before he then, was 16 and 0 so now he's 16 and 1 16 and 1 and yeah it wasn't his night Tyler then he boxed really well he did Paul just couldn't really make the adjustments and I think he loses on points lost on points unanimous decision I was there covering that fight for the boxing news and it was a great fight but in the wake of that he's been in touch and he said honestly how do you deal with defeats now we've had like we had Darren Barker on talking about defeats that was a really good pod go and listen to that but this got us thinking a bit didn't it this message mm. George first of all Brad we've reached out and we're getting him on the show yeah. I'm doing an episode Before, let's do a proper episode instead of just giving him some advice and an intro I think this could make a really good episode this is the rebuild now this mm. is coming back after a loss the Nuki bomb and me and Brad we've done some work together before in the past he was a spa he came into spa me for my fight with Chris Eubank Jr so I appreciate Mr Pauls and um, he's got to be the toughest man and Nuki surely for that alone he travelled a long way mm. I'm going to try and give him some first hand advice from the experiences I had about losing I feel like this pod could really be him questioning you and as you said that it felt like you questioning me yeah and why am I here <laughs> yeah. what am I doing this for it's the proper real time rebuild from Brad Pauls yeah boxing's important day. you know sometimes we show up here and we just shoot from the hip mm. but this one no I'm going to have to put a, bit, a little bit of thought into it yeah in case he asks me some serious questions dig, dig deep and I'll have to uh, you know answer accordingly now that night at the Wembley Arena was a sad night. I was sat next to an empty seat because our friend and colleague Ron Lewis passed away sadly. Big shout out to Boxer. They did a nice tribute for Ron. There was a QPR shirt, QPR scarf, flower, match room have since done the same. Frank Warren and BT have done the same. One of my journalist colleagues, but someone who followed you around the world, around the country, sadly passed away at the age of 54, Ron Lewis. Now, this episode today is dedicated to him, so tribute to him, because it's an episode about press conferences. Before we go any further, Ron was someone who followed you, and I know you had a you know relationship with him as well. It was just such sad, terrible news at such a young age. Well, I, I would see Ron sporadically at shows, but the, I think the shocking thing was that people saw him that week, yeah. you know, days before... And also, what probably most people in fighting don't really realise is there's not acres and acres of boxing journalists. Um, There's only really a handful of hardcore boxing journalists who are are affiliated to a a national paper, which Ron was. And he always gave me time way before I was in the big fights. So I appreciate that about him. 
quote you correctly, none of that sensationalized sort of clickbait stuff. You know, he's, he's a boxing man through and through. Really, really sad. Condolences go out to his family. Yeah, we'd like to dedicate this episode all about press conferences, which seems fitting mm. to Ron Lewis. Yeah, the, this episode is with Tris Dixon, who's another member of the pack. And we talk about the changing face of the media. Ron was a proper dyed-in-the-wool newspaper man proper journalist and there aren't many like him left we should note as well recorded before the sad news so that's mm. why there might not be any reference to it in there but we should point that out as well yeah but let's get Tristan. today deck we have a fellow podcaster in the club he's also the former editor of the boxing news he was the ghostwriter for Ricky Hatton's best-selling autobiography, and he's a regular pundit on Sky Sports News Boxing Show. Big Fight Special and Ringside is, of course, most shredded member yep. of the Allegiance so far. It's Tris Dixon. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. From, uh, I guess, one set of podcasters to the other. Yeah. And also, I think we touched upon it before. George is actually probably my most listened to episode, the George Groves episode. So clearly he was destined to be doing something in podcasts. Mm. I listen to it every night. That's why the so big. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great one. It's a great one. For those who don't know, Boxing Life Stories is your pod. Been going how long now? Four, four years. About four years, yeah. yeah. And I think, George, not only is the most listened to, but I think we might have done the longest podcast. I think we were up there about three and a half hours. Why doesn't that surprise me? Yeah. <laughs> I've, 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 ne- I've never had to cross my legs as tightly <laughs> in my entire life. <laughs> but we're not talking to you about podcasts today, Tris. What's the theme, George? Something that we've been waiting to talk about is press conferences. Mm. Obviously, boxing man and a writer through and through. So you've experienced your fair share of press conferences, Tris, yeah? Yeah, just a few. Fair to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been interesting though, because we're all in different sides of the of the of the line. I've, I've approached press conferences and had to get something out of them, I suppose. And I feel like George, you were one of the few boxers who approached the press conference going. I can get something out of this. Do you know what I mean by that, Tris? You know, for, for a lot of people, it's going through the motions, right? For a lot of fighters. Plus, you know, generally it's on the Wednesday or Thursday of a fight week. So they are pretty much geared up for what's happening on the Saturday night. So it's a it's a bit of an unwelcome distraction for them. And I was actually speaking to Tundi Ajayi, talking about Anthony Yard, and he was talking about why they've hired James Cook as part of the team. He's now been in the team for a couple of fights. And it was interesting because one of the things James Cook said to them was they'd done a, a day of media and a, and a press conference and James said you know go back home and rest and the guy's like no we go to the gym after these press conferences we go and work and he said no like the media and doing the amount you've done is enough for today so it's kind of exhausting I guess it's taxing mentally and to a degree physically you're probably not eating much probably not going to the toilet when you need to be going probably a good deal of anxiety if you're around your opponent as well no matter if you're trying to put a facade on it or not so it's quite interesting you know how some people do deal with it but it is an important part of the week for the media and it can be an important part of it for the fighters because obviously really what it is for the fighters is an opportunity to get people behind them that's an interesting point how did you reflect on it was it like cool that was a big day that was a tough day yeah that was a day off was it, that yeah. wasn't a gym day for me because they we were should, we should point out a pre-fight press conference we're talking about so that's like two or three days before mm. the fight so during fight week but yeah continue. so you'd have a, you'd so have a press conference anyway. to announce the fight which could be any day of the week really sometimes it's Monday, Tuesday start of the week to hit well, I'll ask you, you guys. Is that the reason? You, well, is it better for start of the week or the end of the week? Well, traditionally, you would think it's not great to do a press set towards the end of the week because then football is dominating the sports pages. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a Monday, you've got the follow-ups from the from the weekend. Whereas a Tuesday, Wednesday, quiet-ish. Sometimes those the back of the book, the sports pages are they're fewer. But if I was planning a press conference, I go, you don't want to compete with football because you've got no chance. So that might be why. Would you guys be excited to go to a press conference? Or are you like, oh, this is, I'm getting nothing here? I mean, I suppose that's the toughest part, really. <laughs> yeah. It's sitting through the thank yous and the non information, you know, the stuff that will never make it into the newspaper, the magazines, or, or whatever we're working for. And it is just, you know, it's not even sound bites, there's just nothing there. And, you know, we've been to some fights where they might have been not just one person thanking people, but everyone's pulled up to thank people. And you've sat through, you know, literally 45 minutes worth of people thanking sponsors, venues, you know, whoever it is, before you even get to talking about the fight itself. So in some ways it can be a drag. In other ways, obviously, if Sparks fight can be quite interesting and entertaining. 
you know, the, the press pack kind of whittles itself down, doesn't it? Because they, they've cha changed a lot. So it used to be that you would have, you know, recognized members in the media in the audience and pretty much only them. And they'd be invited to ask questions. So you see your name, where you're from, not as in location, but what? Just <laughs> <laughs> from Salisbury. <laughs> it's like blind date. <laughs> no, you'd say, you know, say uh, Tech Taylor Press Association or which, whichever of your many outlets you're working for. And you ask your question. And it was all quite formulaic. And then, you know, then it sort of grew where there'd be spin-off round tables where mm. a fighter would go and, you know, you'd either get the daily press going around them or the video guys going around them. And then if you were lucky, you might get some one-to-one -one stuff with a fighter at the end. And I suppose that's kind of what people like Deck and myself would be waiting for because mm. we don't want the stuff that everyone else has got. You want the unique stuff. And generally, you're hoping probably that some of your questions haven't been asked so that when you do get that one-to-one -one time, you get the stuff that is unique to you and, and your audience. Because you will cover what you ask or the original sort of setup, the, the previous setup where Tris from Salisbury, I like, <laughs> I like eating. omelettes. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like omelettes and windy walks. Um, and you asked that question, but then obviously everyone's going to hear the answer. Exactly. Then Eddie Hearn came in as a promoter and he started asking yeah. questions. So was that good for you guys or was that annoying? Because he's is he, is he taking your job? or is he just speeding up your job? Well, the job? problem is, I don't know, Tris, if you were doing press at this point, but what would happen, you might have been in some, George, where they do like the spiel, and this is more for like the launch presses, but they do some sort of speech and whatever, and then they go, right, and we've got any questions. And me and my colleagues would be, well, I ain't asking it here, because if it's a good answer, it's on IFL in 10 minutes, and I want that for the paper tomorrow. So then we saved it, and you remember, George, used to then go behind and do the roundtable, and we'd ask you slightly more expansive stuff. So then what, obviously, what Eddie's thinking was was well i can control the narrative here also there's not that awkward bit where no one's asking any questions we can actually hear from all the fighters just a couple of platitudes and um, especially for those presses where there's 20 boxes up there mm. kind of takes a while but it serves a purpose but the, the vegas ones which you were alluding to tris was like they were long and boring so the, the announcement for an anti joshua fight and everyone scrambling to get to anti joshua would you try and seek out Joshua's manager or if it's Rob McCracken in his corner or someone else to maybe get a different quote. Yeah, entirely. Entirely. 100%. Yeah. And those presses are good because it's like a collection of everyone, isn't it? Especially for you, Tris, when you're boxing news and stuff like that, you've got angles where like McCracken would make a great piece or maybe the you might see a sparring partner in the, in the crowd or just hanging around it loitering and then you get extra bits. Because for the most part, like the Joshua sit down, everyone gets it. So it's kind of, there's nothing new there. But you kind of have to tick boxes with it. But remember the Badu Jack one was a big Vegas night because it was a Mayweather one. That was, was cool. Undercard presser. We went, yeah. So um, we did a press conference for the fight. I think the fight was already announced, but we was, it went to LA for the day and did the press conference with Floyd Mayweather. So that was quite cool. I've got a really cool picture of me standing up and they do like a proper podium thing where you stand in the middle. Uh, and I've got everyone, Mayweather, Badu Jack. Badu's LB, those LB, 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 yeah. yeah. LB, and they're all looking at me like, wow, he's, he's must be talking with so much sense. Fuck <laughs> 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 knows what I said. So that was cool. But... I don't think I've done much from media after that, or at least I wasn't really awake for it. I remember one of the sort of the video YouTuber guys um, talking to me about how excited are you to be fighting on a Floyd Mayweather undercard? It's like your biggest thing. And I'm thinking, oh, I boxed at Wembley Stadium last year. <laughs> this is kind of kicking the bollocks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I so press conference comes and you're like, well, this is a chance to sort of try and show a bit more about yourself, uh, a bit of personality. And then if you're interested and fun and, or whatever it is, you hope you can get it across. But then you you get to know the you know people like yourselves, and then and I start understanding your personalities, and you understand mine. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll give this guy a bit better because he will get it out of me, and then we'll get a bit. <laughs> I was of just going to ask that. Did, so forth. yeah, did you have like faces that you pick out in the press pack where you'd be like, I know him. I'll give him. I'll give him a bit. There were people there you do try and give better work to. Not because you felt like you owed it to them or, or you know, as so much as they deserved it. It's more that you know they're going to do something good with it. Mm. You know, you know they're going to ride it up properly and you'll get out there. Some outlets are bigger than others. So if you're doing a press conference and it's on Sky Sports News and then you've got Fraser Clark, someone comes over and says, Fraser Dayton. Yeah, fucking hell. He's a boxer. Fraser Clark. Yeah, That's why I was doing a bit of media as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you got Fraser Dayton comes over from Sky Sports News or Craig Slater or someone and they go, right, we're going to go live on Sky Sports News is like okay right so then it's literally like 
right, chest up, right, switch on, right. And then you finish that and then some guy taps you on the shoulder you've never seen him before and he goes, have you got five minutes for uh, boxingarseholes.com? And you go... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not you familiar go, with that one. Go, <laughs> go, all right. And he gets, his, he gets his iPhone out and he starts shaking. You're like, oh, you are getting absolutely nothing out of me. <laughs> so um, about the uh, Tyson Fury uh, tweet last night, you're like, I haven't seen it, mate. I don't know. Speaking of weight, I remember you saying before the Martin Murray presser, you, you went to that presser going... Okay, what I need to convey in this presser is I'm too big for you, mate. In your head, before every press conference, you go, this is my message for today. I want to try and put it out there. Yeah, yeah. No, always, always, always a message. So I'd always be like aware of what the questions were or assume what the questions were. Have an answer ready. I mean, my vocabulary is not great, you know. So, But if I heard a word, you know, in the weeks prior to that and I thought, that's a cool word. I'm going to I'm gonna slide that in somewhere. I can't think of an example now, but <laughs> sometimes it was to, to get a reaction out of the opponent. I remember Martin Murray, obviously I'd had, I'd had the back and forth with Digale. I'd had it with Froch. And it's another Brit. And I think he, I can imagine him thinking, right, I'm going to like set upon him. I'm going to have a go at him. So I thought, I don't. I want him to come away going, why aren't he picking on me? <laughs> and then the idea behind it is like, you're not really worth it. You know, you know. Uh, and then that's obviously, hopefully that, that upsets him and, and infuriates him. So you used to take it as like a last opportunity to get into someone's head as well, didn't you? Because I, mean, I mean, I suppose we're not talking about fight week press conference here, but the Rubik's Cube thing was another thing, wasn't it? I thought, I thought I was going to land on Lad's Bible for that. I thought that was going to be <laughs> hilarious, right? People still talk like, about it now and that's a long time so you, I think it did, did the job. Yeah, well, yeah, I thought he's going to come out and he's going to talk and he's going to talk a long time so how quickly can I solve a Rubik's Cube? And I got 10 days to two weeks before the presser and I was like, well, I'd learned the algorithms for it but I could, I could do it in about three minutes so I thought pressure's on there but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, reckon, I reckon I'm safe with a three minute spew from Carl and uh, I get like three quarters away done and then he stops and so it's like alright he's gonna talk again soon and then another question comes up and he's off again and, and I think it's Adam Smith sitting next to me I nudge Adam Smith at Sky and say there you go look at that but I can hear all the shutters <laughs> yeah, going yeah, yeah. Uh, on the cameras so he must be thinking why do they keep taking fucking pictures of me talking about I can imagine you sweating Pascal thinking, I've got to do it now yeah. I'm committed <laughs> the last bit for me was always the, the, the the trickiest bit and obviously if you go one out I've got to, I don't again. understand the Rubik's Cube well enough I've got to basically go back to the beginning <laughs> like, did you complete it then yeah yeah, no, yeah it's done there you go boom yeah. for those who don't know what we're talking about this was the Frotch Grows rematch presser at Wembley the announcement presser though wasn't it yeah. so some weeks out when you also had a push he pushed you he pushed me on the pitch on the pitch yeah, yeah. That was a great presser. Were you that one, Tris? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's in the a, bowels of Wembley, in the in like the main where they do all the football presses and that. There was a lot of people in the room that day. Yeah. So I thought, it's got to be scary. We've got to go big. Because I think if it was the first press conference to announce the fight, it must have been tickets on sale that day as well. There was 60,000 going on sale that day. And if they sold out, they were going to create another 20,000. You had to buy a ticket and go to a bus stop in Luton or somewhere to get a fucking night bus to get in. Because they were worried about getting people out the stadium so uh, what I wanted to hear is at the end of the press conference tell me that yep 60,000 sold and it was so that was good and the press conference done, done, his, done his trick mm. do you always know what's going to be interesting as someone says it and you're like I've got to write that do you always know what lands what don't have you ever written something thinking this is tough but it, it flies yeah some, sometimes there's some really bland stuff like we like we said where everyone feels like they're going through the motions and it, therefore when you write it you feel like you're going through the motions I suppose what everyone wants is that spark and that bit of physicality right where you're looking at Riddick Bowe smacking up Larry Donald with a two piece or Barrera and Morales having a little tear up in their suits and, and that sort of stuff that's the flashpoint that Bellew will... hit punching hay as yeah. well yeah oh, no the other way around hay punch Bellew yeah, yeah yeah so yeah sla yeah, yeah, yeah. punch him, punch didn't him. yeah and that sort of stuff like that's Sells obviously the tickets doesn't it well yeah and that's obviously you know in terms of deck and the newspapers and that that's what's going to get your back page as well isn't it so because mm. you're going to get the picture of that the flashpoint in terms of the, like the golden bits I don't know it's tough isn't it because it's only really gold you know my perspective if no one else has got it if yeah. a great line comes out you think well it's a good line and stuff but now it's going to be everywhere one thing to point out at this point though, I think is that after that set piece presser which everyone listeners would have seen when you're all sat on the same table and you've, everyone's filming and, and you might say some stuff is then you go away and you do pet separate round tables or whatever and that's where the newspapers will ask their questions and I think it's interesting what you said when you go okay is this good or is, is this shit depending on the outlet the publication depends on whether it's any good or not someone talking about to be honest puerile stuff funny stuff 
football teams shagging, whatever, Red Tops love it. And I know because I've written for them. But then that's no good for Donald McRae who's writing in The Guardian who's got a thousand words. It would take something totally different from the exact same 10, 15 minutes sit down with you or another boxer. It will be streets apart from what Wally Downs files for the sun. As an agency journalist, as I was, if I'm sitting there going, I've got an order here for the mirror or for, for another tabloid, I'm thinking, what in here is funny? What can I get in 15 pars, 15 paragraphs? Mm. Or if I'm working for something a bit more expansive, or maybe like boxing news, and I need to do a big 2,000 word piece on the presser itself, totally different outlook on it. I don't know if you ever picked up on that. Journalists are all chucking different questions at you, sometimes not that totally different themes, and you're just having, having to bat them off because they're all, they're all kind of running different races. I think I had a, I had a gist of it, but could it work? Would it work if you said, right, listen, right, say something crude and yeah. funny and mischievous for these three guys, yeah. right? Then say something a little bit closer to home, a little bit heartfelt for these three guys, and then say something... Tactical about the fight or whatever for those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's true. And and often, especially Vegas weeks, Tris, where say you, we speak to... I remember when we, when you boxed Badu Jack, we spoke to you on like the Monday or something. So because we need a piece for the paper every day. So not necessarily a press conference, but you know, a, a sit down with you. And you go, right, okay, I need something for Tuesday in England. It needs to be like a scene set. It's no good me doing it, something about the fight now, something technical now. I need to speak about Vegas, I need to speak about Big Bear, blah, blah, blah. And then as the week goes on. So what actually does happen, and people might not realise this, is all the journalists kind of come together at the end of those things and decide what goes when. Because it's no good for me if I'm holding something for Saturday and someone puts it out on Wednesday. So there's a lot of collusion amongst journalists to make sure that people don't go at the same time. It's a famous word, embargo. There'll be embargoes on stuff to make sure that it goes out at the right time and everyone chucks stuff out at the same same time there's a lot of post tactics going on is there a lot of elbow barging like rough and tumble no like, there's a couple of guys that'll be funny if, you, if you're if you're with the dailies and like and you're doing it for the sundays there'll be the couple yeah, of people saying no get away from our, get away from yeah, our we, huddle, we, we, we do a separate sundays yeah. you do a separate sunday and the reason for that is obviously you need something new for sunday because if you get a great line for sunday and someone puts it out on friday you're fucked and your editor's going to be like well i've read this in the mail three days ago why are you filing me this so you need to get something separate. Equally, with a press conference with you and other boxers in the build-up, this is our one crack at really at getting you in this setting where you're in media mode. You need to fill your boots, really. Mm. Were you aware of that? I don't know. I, I think I did a lot of talking because mm. even when it's not my fight, like I remember <laughs> going, um, Shane had like his sister was sadly really ill, but it was the press conference to announce Luke Campbell versus Lomachenko. So I was like, didn't want to overstep my mark, but I said, do you want me to fill in Shane? You know, I'll just say you can't make it and then I can just speak on Luke's behalf. And I don't think he'd been with Luke. I think they'd had one fight together, or maybe two fights together. But they, anyway, I'm there and I was the last one to leave. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even fighting. Where's Luke Campbell gone? I've lost my lift. Because I just carry on waffling on. I was like, oh, Jesus. But um, you want to say something interesting. You know, you, re you really do as a fighter. If Chris Eubank Jr. says, stands up and says, I'm going to treat Liam Smith like a piece of beef, I'm going to saute him, like, but that'll probably go everywhere. But if Liam Smith stood up and said the same thing, would it have the same effect? I was once told by one of my first sort of editors was, if you can take what is said, take the line and reverse it, and that makes it more interesting, it's no good. So if someone says, I want to win this fight, and you reverse it and he says, I don't want to win this fight. That's very interesting. Therefore, I want to win this fight is no good. So problem with boxing is a lot of the same stuff and at the same platitudes, particularly if you cover the same boxer a lot, they say the same shit. They say it's, fu it's funny as well because you talk about, you obviously sauteing him like beef. I mean, beef is the word of press conferences. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's the cliche, you know, genuine beef or real beef. But actually, there's also fake beef, right? There's like fake beef and I don't mean as in the vegan sort. Yeah. But I mean, so I've seen... Manufactured I've, beef. Yeah, mm. you know, literally. Mm. I've seen messages between fighters saying, if we do a bit of physicality, let's split the, for, the fine from the board because it'd be worth it in pay-per-view sales. What's better, having a dynamic like that that's manufactured or 
you know, obviously it's not as good as the genuine legit stuff, but is it better than nothing at all? Well, it's all a story. And I remember Tyson Fury, well, Tyson Fury famously, we all know that he contradicts himself all the time. He would say at a press conference, I remember one press where he, was, he stood up, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do my training camp in Australia. Straight away you go, well, he's fucking, that's obviously not going to happen. But he said it. And my job is to kind of report what he said. And that's actually really interesting because it's new. You know what you were saying? What's yeah. interesting? Anything that's new. I remember getting Joshua at the... Klitschko launch press. I went to Dusseldorf for it or wherever it was in a stadium. It, it was in a stadium in Germany. And we got, it was only a few of us there because it was in Germany. I'm um, sitting Joshua down. And he told us about one day his mum said, You're off school today, he took him to Nigeria. And then they lived in Nigeria for a while. And it was like, Fuck, this is great. This is really good. This is different from him saying, I want to bash him up and then I want to get the, this and that. But whether it's real or not, doesn't really matter, does it? Question for both of you though, did you, do you ever think that there is such a thing as winning a press conference? Yeah, mm. always. Yeah, you think so, yeah. Always, 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 always. Because you're going to come away and, and he's going to process the press conference with his team and see how they think and feel, you know, or any, any time you come together. The actual press conference in itself is a tough one, isn't it? To gauge in whatever that is, 45 minutes to an hour. It's hard to say if things are won and lost in that period, but definitely pre-fight. I definitely think that Vladimir Klitschko doesn't know if there was a left-hand turn up, coming up ahead if Tyson Fury was going to turn left or right. Mm. So I think the pre-fight stuff is intriguing and things can be won and lost there. In terms of distilling it to that press conference, I always remember actually, I remember Tim Bradley came in to, quite late to the country for his fight with Junior Witter when he beat Witter for the world title. And I remember Mick Hennessy coming up to me after the press conference and said, we've got a live one here. And it was just where, and it, it wasn't based on what Bradley had done as a fighter, although obviously he was a very rounded athlete and fighter. It was to do with his demeanor at the press conference. All business, all confidence, didn't take any bait or anything else. They were just like, and, and Hennessy said, I think he said something like, the only time I've seen anyone like this was Pascal ahead of the Froch fight. You know, it's quite an interesting thing because obviously Bradley's not a shit talker. He's a guy that was a pro's pro, right? To come out of a press conference on a waste soil with the other team thinking, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you've done something right. You're carrying yourself with, a, with an air of confidence and dignity and grace where people are thinking, okay, this guy means business. How interesting is it then to, to speak to the promoters at press conferences? Have you had a chance to speak to like a Don King or yeah. an Oscar De La Hoya or even an Al Heyman, if anyone's yeah. ever met Al Heyman? So it's, it's, so it's interesting actually. So no to Heyman, although yeah, I've seen him. him. I've seen him there. I've seen him at some press conferences yeah. for some Mayweather fights. seen him at the door to press conferences and stuff, and, but never seen him go in. It's interesting, kind of like what Deck touched upon. It depends on what you want out of it. I remember grabbing Oscar at a press conference and I think it was for Khan Maidana and everyone was obviously asking about Khan Maidana but I filled my boots. I'd been doing Khan Maidana all week if not for two weeks and I saw Oscar on his own and I grabbed him. I think I must have had about maybe it was five or eight minutes with him and I asked him about his own career and I asked him about retirement and adapting to life after boxing and I nearly had him in tears within about five or eight minutes. And I remember we ran a feature in in a boxing news Christmas special called something like it was five golden minutes, and it was just where I grabbed him, and he was obviously there on calm business, but I managed to sort of steer him down his own career, and it was really really interesting, mm. like proper Oscar stuff, you know, not the soundbitey sort of golden boy star stuff, but really honest stuff, saying how like after six rounds of the Floyd Mayweather fight, he realised that he should be retired, and you know this is it now, like everything's going, losing my speed and time and reflexes and stuff so but then obviously you get the kings and the arams the, the thing is George, when you're speaking to them they're very polished when you've got certainly a don king one thing that you imagine you imagine he's filled with all the quotes and all the rest of it sometimes you've got to sit through five or six minutes of king to get one good line and in terms of the modern day promoters whether it's eddie or whatever you know it's tough i mean i you talk about how many interviews you've done at some of these things and i see eddie now like first it's first one in last one to leave doing the same questions over and over and, and over again to everyone like those boxing assholes every single iphone that will film him it's incredible watching him hmm. do you think there's such a thing as it going too far Chisora throwing a table at white, for instance. <laughs> is it too far? Yeah. <laughs> or not far enough? Not far enough. Or is yeah. it, or is it uh, Tyson Fury flipping over his table and leaving? Remember that one? Is it, I think that was Chisora as well. It does go a bit mad sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, the whole thing is you're basically 48 hours away from a fight anyway. You know, there's a time and a place and that's not it. You know, I think George's mindset was probably, you know, in terms of me being obviously a straight boxing guy, an old-fashioned boxing guy, then all you got to do is say your bit, try and make it interesting. 
maybe George is typical George, but crank up the volume by two or three notches, regardless of your personality, just to try and spice it up a little bit, a couple of days away from the fight. And then that's it and leave it to it. You kind of want you kind of want it to be a cliffhanger, don't you? You don't want to see the fight on a Thursday. You want to see it on a Saturday night, you know, and you want that anticipation. You don't want to see obviously the weigh-in, which obviously then become a, a you know more and more public spectacle over the years. And you want that anticipation leading into a Saturday. So you don't want that sort of because nothing's you know nothing's going to be won and lost on a Thursday. You know, when you sell these events, you want to sell them as pure sporting contests. And really, what ultimately gets people tuning into good sporting contests is when you don't know who's going to win the fight. Has anyone said anything like, basically, I don't know, has anyone said that I don't think I'm going to win? I mean, Tyson Fury, like Dex says, can change like the wind. And I think that's, again, that's part of his, because he does do the mind games, right? Big time. You know, before the second Deontay Wilder fight, I was out in LA filming with BT, doing the stuff at the LA presser with Fury and Wilder. And I was walking down a long corridor with Tyson and they'd been very amicable, Fury and Wilder, that day and very sort of polite and shaking hands and pally. And then Fury's like yeah I've done that one this time next time I'm going to push him and the time after that I might go for him and then you know the time before like I said you know come around for a couple or whatever so he's always thinking one two three moves ahead I'll tell you a good one Tyson Fury again dressing as Batman the Batman thing the Batman. Crazy. Yeah. And, he, and he jumped do, do you remember that it was at Sky yeah. Studios it was so he, with um, Huey Fury Huey was the Joker and again he, so he turns up in the Lamborghini I remember we got wind of it which was great because it means you can go out and get the video or whatever dresses Batman turns up in a big Lamborghini, comes in dressed as Batman, pretends that it's not Tyson Fury, like pretends he's Batman, jumps over the table, has a wrestle with Fury, who's dressed as a Joker. And then does he sit there as Batman? Did he take his mask off? I can't remember. Does he clear off again? But the whole time, and it's, it was great. Vladimir sat there thinking, what the fuck? Like, what is this? He's like <laughs> doing the perfect, he did, did a number on him by doing that. And it looked stupid. It looked like chaos, a circus, literally a circus. But I think it did a job. Do you remember that pre-fight one where they did where they were about to announce Malinaji Broner? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was That bad. was off the hook. Yeah. It was like X-rated they stuff, phoned, talking about- They phoned up one of them. They phoned up one of- for all intents and purposes, I remember Malinaji claimed that he'd slept with Broner's girlfriend or something like that and was basically like just really bad talking this woman. And then I think he phoned her. Yeah, I've got a phone on speakerphone, speaker, yeah. Like during the press conference. And it's just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like that was that, that was proper cringy. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. in terms of the post-fight stuff, and but to be fair, post-fight they usually is quite chill, isn't it? Because everyone's knackered. Yeah, the one that stands out post-fight. I'm quite a big David Hay sympathizer, <laughs> but mm. when he got up on the table and got his toe out post Klitschko in Hamburg, you know, people were saying, "Oh, you know, get out and prove it," as in tongue in cheek. And obviously, he went and did it and and got up on the table and took his shoe and sock off and the heart went out to him because obviously it didn't go to plan. The whole night was a bit of a washout. It was soaking there and outdoor stadium and all the rest of it. I must have been one of several hundred people saying, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Just you <laughs> yeah, know, sit I'll, down. Like, I'll take your word mm. for it. Please don't just, you know, it's fine. I actually remember Adam Booth phoning me that week and said, or maybe he texted me and just said, you know, thanks for dealing with it in a professional manner because obviously, was it Toegate? Mm. I think it just went, it went. <laughs> yeah, it was bad, wasn't it? it? Was I was in the back. I could sort of hear what he was saying. I was like, don't get the tongue. <laughs> there was a pre-fight press conference actually where, was it my Auger and Vargas, where they were kept behind, they were kept yeah. in glass booths or yeah. something. That was away a from each other. Yeah, it was like a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jeez, it was like some sort of WWE <laughs> elimination chamber style yeah, yeah. thing. Another great pre, no, this was a launch presser moment, which I will never forget. The press conference at the Landmark Hotel in Marlebone, which a lot of presses took place in, and it was to announce Joseph Parker against Huey Fury. And sort of midway through the presser, sort of some shouting at the back. You think, what the fuck's happening here? Turn around. And it was um, David Higgins, clearly intoxicated, walking down the aisle, slurring, shouting at, Peter, at, at sort of Team Fury. And alongside him is a 50-year-old Franz Botha. The pair of them are like pissed by the looks of things, having a go at the top table. They have to get escorted away by security. If you haven't seen it, go and look it on YouTube. And Peter Fury, who's you know the quiet man, but you can really go if he wants to, stands up and absolutely gives it to them as they're getting dragged away. It was just like, what is happening? Obviously, Huey and Joseph, two of the two most like unassuming, kind of quiet guys actually for heavyweight boxers, 
just like, what the hell is that? In <laughs> Peter Fury's giving it to him, go and watch the clip. It's amazing. And that was bizarre. I wonder if it was Muhammad Ali that sort of started all this. Yeah, not, not, not coming in pissed at presses, <laughs> but, you know, all the stuff, you know, in terms of predicting the rounds and getting people talking before the fight and sort of creating that sort of hype where it's not just about the anticipation of the fight, but about creating a fight week where you have these signposts towards what's coming this weekend. You must have been the first person. There's no footage of anyone pre Ali making a scene like before then you see they both sit at the top table usually they'd sign the contract there have a handshake usually in black and white and then and that was it was there anyone else there were controversial figures well before him like Jack Johnson for instance a big controversial figure but in terms of that alright I'm going to harness the media to try and like help me in my quest, which was to be heard, be seen, therefore be maybe be feared or unsettle an opponent. And it came at the time when it wasn't more on camera and stuff like that as well. Yeah, and I suppose obviously historically, you know, going back to kind of where we started, you know, it is about good and bad guys. You know, that's what ultimately sells, right? And so to bring up to modern day, it's kind of what Floyd Mayweather says. He didn't care if people loved him or hated him. He just wanted to be relevant. And it's that relevance that is important because that's what gets people to buy your pay-per-view and to mm -hmm. tune in and to watch you fight. We need a break. We need a breather. Let's do a break. And speaking of head-to-heads, got the best feature oh, in the history of this podcast. So prepare yourselves, boys. Don't flinch. It's feature time after this. We're back and we've got the best feature ever. Have we got a jingle? Tristan Shout. Now, beautifully, this actually is relevant vaguely to the episode, which is not often we do that. No. So this is uh, going to be a list. I've got 10 entries. So it's, it's you two, it's Tris against George. I'm going to give you an example of some trash talk from a press conference or another similar <laughs> setting. Oh my and God, you this is the one where I'm struggling and everyone at, everyone at home listening yeah, you know it. is They're yeah, like, Trish I was like, God, can you They're just like, spit out? This guy was at the presser. So... Most of them, you're going to just have to tell me who it is. There's a couple of exceptions for that. Now, Tris, as the guest, you can choose whether you want to go first or second. I'll go first. So fill in the blanks. My name is blank and I can lick any son of a bitch alive. John L. Sullivan. Oh, bosh. Look at that. One nil. George, I want you to tell me who said it. And for a bonus point, you can tell me who it's about. I'll never let a white boy beat me. I've got a couple of names. I reckon Tris knows who it is. Is it Bernard Hopkins? Oh, Ooh, yes. Um, About whom? Who do you say it to? Is it Kelly Pavley? Mm. Incorrect. Remember? Kawasaki. Yes. Ah. Now, <laughs> speaking of uh, Bernard Hopkins, Tris, your next question. Bernard Hopkins ain't old school. He an old fool. Who said that? I'm going to go just with the rhyme to Roy Jones. Oh, it's close. But we'll check it over. Is it James Tony? Yes. Uh, right, we're two all. Okay, this is not looking good because I ain't got a tiebreaker. I'll do you, Gappy Teeth, you ugly <laughs> little man. <laughs> I wonder who, who it was and was, who he was talking about. It's Tyson Fury at the ring apron to Alexander Usyk. Easy after work. His last fight with his mate. Easy Ooh. work. Tris, back to you. I'll beat him so bad, he'll need a shoehorn to put his hat on. Oh my God, I do know this Who as well. said it and who is, about, who's, who is it about? I want to say it's some 80s heavyweight like a, a Tex Cobb, but I don't know. Go on. Any ideas? I've got no idea. Muhammad Ali oh. against, uh, before Floyd Patterson. So back to you, George. I need the two Question people. Question four, yes. Yeah, one of them said, I don't hate the man, I just want the man's title. The other one said, I personally do hate him. That sounds very British. Is someone is? I need oh, I need both of them. If yeah, possible. is Anthony Joshua involved? No, no. I'll get. Shall no, I give you a clue? Some Brits. I'll give you a clue. At the time this was being said, there was a small figurine of a ninja turtle on the desk, and this was broadcast live on ITV. So it's Chris Eubank Jr. No, it's Eubank Senior and Nigel Ben when they signed their contract live on. Oh bloody hell! And yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And if right. you've never seen yeah. that clip, if you listen, haven't seen it, you yeah. have to go. It's classic British boxing broadcasting. Okay, so back to you, Tris. With his stupid long face, he will look like a horse falling at Cheltenham. What if I want the person as a guest on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you're not, just don't shoot the messenger here. That I'm just saying, someone said that about someone. Who, Is that a two-pointer? Nah, one. You can give us one. Yeah, go on, give us two halves, and you can have two points. Yeah, who is it? Who's, who's, who who said, said it? it? And who? Who's it about? Who? Do you think George Groves has ever said that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe about the first ever 
British Olympic and world champion. James First ever, the history Chunky man. Chunky DeGale. Yeah, James Chunky DeGale. Right, what's the score? I'll give Tris double points for that. So it's, he's winning. He's got he's edging me out 4-3. Okay, it's going to need 10 plumbers to do you when I've done finished with you. <laughs> That's Tyson Fury. <laughs> is, that, is that from Boxing Arsos? That's Tyson Fury. Is he talking about David Price? Bosh, yeah, he is. I'll give he's a plumber. You plumber from Liverpool. Again, go and watch that clip. And you're gay lover, Tony Bellew. Yeah, I fight in between rounds. So you're going to know exactly, everyone's going to know said this. I want you to tell me after which opponent. My style is impetuous, my defence is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious. I want your heart, I want to eat his children. Mike Tyson, Lou Savarese. In Hamden Park, I was there. Oh, at Glasgow. Okay, now this one's for George, to nick a draw. He makes the elephant man look like Pamela Anderson. (laughs) If I was probably in the room, that might be the massive clue. Is that David (laughs) Hay then? Yeah, talk about who? Uh, Valimev? Yes. Well done. Five all. Fucking great Come on, need a tiebreaker. Come on, don't get your little brain going. Okay, I'll tell you what. Just just hold on. Hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to get a tiebreaker here. Got one. X-rated. Maybe the most X-rated of all time. First person to tell me who said this is the winner. I'll fuck you until you love me. Oh, Mike Tyson to Lennox <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Tris well done. Dixon. That's boxing assholes for you. <laughs> Tristan shout. So, Tris, what else are you up to these days, mate? Tell us about yourself. So, obviously, the podcast Boxing Life Stories is not only four years old, but 205 episodes old oh. now. So, it's a real labor of love. You know, I find it hugely rewarding. I feel like I am contributing to boxing's rich tapestry. It's rewarding in many ways. One is obviously when you look down the list of a couple of hundred names and you see the likes of Russell Peltz, Teddy Atlas, yourself, whoever it is, you think, wow, like, if anyone wants to hear like a one-stop shop of these people's lives, then that's kind of where you can go for it. The other thing is, you know, I find it with some of the deep dives, including most recently Robin Reed, some of the guys get emotional and it's like some guys do find it like therapy and it's like cathartic for them. So yeah, and, and then there's another thing, you know, I remember doing the one with Chris Sanigo, which I, I thought was great, who's a Bristol ex-fighter and, and coach and promoter. And I just thought, you know, Chris had had a fight with cancer and, and won. His relatives messaging me and saying how pleased they were to have it because, you know, sometimes when these guys are gone, their families will still be able to listen to these interviews as well. And so like, like, I think that's a nice feeling. And I've got to say, part of the seed for Box and Life Stories was actually planted by Declan Taylor. Was it? So when you told me to listen to Joe Rogan's podcast with Matthew Walker, the sleep diplomat. The sleep diplomat. That was like the first long form interview that I'd heard in a podcast. It was brilliant. It was, you know, a couple of hours long. Sort of did change my life a little bit about sleep and recovery and nutrition and and there was some great bits in there. And I remember listening, actually, I think I was going to the Dylan White Joseph Parker fight and I remember getting out of the car thinking, oh, I can't wait to get back in the car and, and listen to the rest of that. And it was really interesting. And then it was around because I wasn't listening to podcasts at all. And then I started to look for boxing podcasts and all the podcasts I heard, heard were about what was coming up this weekend. Yeah. and what happened last weekend and I was like well where's the like long form chats and then obviously I looked through the Rogan library and I saw a couple of fighter ones and I was like well this is kind of cool like obviously I've been in boxing 20 odd years now so why don't I just do this with some boxers do you know what's funny actually before you were in that chair we had a sleep expert in so uh, that's quite appropriate isn't it yeah it wasn't the same one it wasn't Matthew Walker it was a sleep geek go and listen to that it's super interesting and yeah. in fact I've been speaking to a previous guest of yours Ellie Scottney about that yeah. sleep diplomat but about that Matthew Walker podcast and it's cha- helped change her sleep as well thanks Deck, for giving me a job for Pleasure. four years really Not appreciate it I haven't seen a penny um, no well, <laughs> n- nor will you um, and then um, so I started working for Pro Box which is a Miami based outfit owned by Gary Jonas I'm doing bits behind the scenes for those guys at the minute also working for Ring Magazine freelancing for Boxing News and I write books tell us about the Matthew Saad Mohammed one before in closing because that story and you were really at the heart of it in terms of he was a friend of yours wasn't he yeah so, so the latest book out yes yeah, yeah that was out in uh, October Damage was out uh, the previous year so I moved to America in 2000 to box and I met Matthew at the International Boxing Hall of Fame I then went to Catskill to train with Kevin Rooney who was Mike Tyson's old trainer and spent a few months in the Catskills and then Matthew had said oh if you ever want to move on come down to Atlantic City and I'll hook you up and we can train down there so I went down to Atlantic City Matthew was as good as a word 
trained me, put me up. I think he, he might have had a crash pad out in May's Landing a few miles away from Atlantic City, but he was basically staying with friends and on sofas. He was, he'd fallen on hard, hard, hard times. He was a w former world light heavyweight champion from 79 to 81 who'd lost his fortune, lost everything. By the time I got there, he was a roofer for the union. And he and I spent a lot of time together over the course of several years. And he would train me in the, the Atlantic City Powell gym. I worked with him doing the roof sometimes. We went to fights. We went quite famously, we went to Trinidad Hopkins up in Madison Square Garden together. It was actually a, a time where we went to some fights in Delaware and they were promoted by Diane Fisher. It was Tracy Patterson's last fight, actually. There was a, a, a ladies' fight on the bill. And Diane Fisher wanted a round car guy. I was penniless and, and hard up, and I think she offered me like a hundred a hundred bucks to do it. <laughs> so I was a round car guy, and there is photo evidence of this. Sadly, in inverted sadly, <laughs> of me being a round car guy for a women's fight because I was so desperate to get into boxing in any way, shape, or form. And I remember getting up onto into, into the ring and and just. I remember Matthew had talked me into it. Matthew was there. I was there with Ray Mercer and Virgil Hill. There were a couple of others, and they sort of goaded me into it. And I was thinking, oh, well, if these guys support me, I'll do it. And they were there saying, yeah, do it. Like, you, you know, it's good money, like a hundred bucks for, a, I think it was a six rounder anyway. And I got up there and then Mercer and Matthew started heckling me, <laughs> screaming stuff at me and booing me and everything else. And everyone else in the crowd saw that these guys were booing me and they all started joining in. So I was getting booed and heckled walking around the ring with my top off. But yeah, Matthew and I were super close. And actually we talked about doing a book there and then, right? So Matthew wanted to do the book with me and I was an unknown writer and he'd sort of fallen from grace and we couldn't get a publisher but the publisher said if you need if you want to do the book you're going to need some sort of proof in writing so we so I did like a little unprofessional four or five line contract and said look we need this to take to a literary agent to do the book and we would spend you know nights going you know doing long interviews sort of hour two hours at a time sometimes 20 minutes and I found all these micro cassettes during the lockdown Matthew died in 2014 and during the lockdown, I found my box of stuff with Matthew and memories and photographs. And I thought, you know what, like I have a bit of a free reign with subject matter now with books. Let's write the book that I promised to write him 20 years ago. And I fulfilled that promise to him. And I went to his grave in, in January in Philadelphia and um, told him I was doing the book. You know, I hoped I make, I would make him proud. And um, yeah, the book's out there now. And I'm, I'm very, very satisfied that I've fulfilled my obligation to my friend. In an unbelievably competitive field, what a story. No spoilers. Yeah, but don't you've got spoilers, but can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, I mean, his story is well known. Like people say, it was the best story yeah. that, that had never been written. So he was abandoned by his brother when he was four years old. His brother was nine and told to go out to Philadelphia and said, lose him or else we'll get rid of both of you. And so they go out and play hide and seek and the older brother runs off and Matthew's left on his own and uh, and he's gone abandoned into Philadelphia. He sees a police officer tra directing traffic the next day, having spent all night looking for his sibling. This is a story Matthew told me several times. And he sees a police officer directing traffic. She takes him into an orphanage. He grows up in an orphanage or spends a couple of years there. He's adopted by a family of Portuguese Im immigrants who um, take him, but they can't save him from the Philadelphia gangs. He winds up in trouble, comes out, turns his life around. Be he becomes Arturo Gatti before Arturo Gatti in terms of being the most exciting fighter in boxing and had a two-year reign, eight title defenses, but was actually unbeaten from 77 to 81. Thrilling fighter and then trusted the wrong people. He thought his taxes were being paid in 85 1985 or 1984 he got a tax bill for a quarter of a million dollars which he didn't have everything went he ended up fighting he should have retired in 81 he retired in 91 and took beatings around the world because he was struggling to get licenses everywhere and fell on really really hard times that ultimately saw him wind up in a Philadelphia homeless shelter after we'd lost touch in about 2007. So it was a really, really, really hard life for Matthew. Any interest from from filmmakers? It's sort of a, uh, when yeah. I, in reading it, I was like, "This is a there's a, there needs to be a film of this." Yeah, this you hope so. I mean, heaven. I think there's, I think you know, I think even there's when you look at the fighter with Mickey Ward and Dickie, Eckland, yeah. I think there's like there's sections of Matthew's life that would make a great movie. Even like his, so I spoke to his ex-wife Michelle, and like a movie of their life that like in that window of where they sort of fell for each other and then came apart before the money went and all the rest of it. And I say that before the money went, like they split before the money went because 
you know, that story's been told that the money went and then the wife went. It wasn't like that. And they stayed in touch. And I think they loved one another to their dying day. In fact, she come, she's in the story on when Matthew's on his deathbed. You know, that in itself with Matthew and Michelle could make a movie. And then, you know, there's other parts, obviously the championship years, the fall, but the whole thing put together mm. is a hell of a movie, sure. Maybe you could fund it, George. Well, the George Coast Film Club. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it sounds it sounds amazing. Yeah, you, I implore any boxing fan, not just boxing fan, I implore anyone who enjoys those real life like biogs. That is one you've got to put top of the list. Thanks, Dirk. Pleasure. Anyone in line for boxing life stories or any dream guests? Just oh quick, my god! Got a- so yeah, I mean, I would love Chunky. I'd love. Same. I'd love to do. I'd love to do a long sit down with Aram. Obviously, King uh, Hopkins would be great. Uh, and then over here, still yet to do David Hay, Chris Eubank Senior. And you know what? The best ones are probably the ones that I haven't even thought of yet, or that I haven't got round to doing yet. Still love to do Colin Jones and Wales and all mm. sorts, all sorts, mate. It's so it's so it's such a rich ground of fantastic stories. We need a song for our ring walk playlist. Now this could be your hypothetical ring walk. This could be a ring walk associated with someone that you have a deep affinity to, or it could be just a tune. You're a big fitness man. We know that. Do you know what? I'm looking through my training playlist right now, and there's a lot of songs that I do get amped up with. I like a bit of Jimi Hendrix. Yes. And sometimes so I like it when there's some tunes out there, right? Some Jimi Hendrix ones where everyone knows it, but people don't know who it is. And then there's ones where you kind of know they're not familiar with the song. And I see this because obviously I work in a gym as well sometimes. And I can see when the when the tune goes on, everyone starts nodding their head and that. And the one I'm going to go for is actually Voodoo Child. When that hits, you know, you've sort of, you know, fingers start to twitch and you're starting to ready to lift something. It works well with a ring walk. Mm. That bit where you're sort of poised, ready to make your statement. Mm. It's good. Cheers, Tris. You lit our lives up today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Cheers, mate. How about that then, How Jake? about that? Tris Dixon, one of our own. Yeah, he's a boxing man for and through, isn't mm. he? He's been in the game bundles of time. It was nice for me to sort of try and play your part, Yeah, from and the other side. And you two out and yeah. get answers from uh, from you guys and see how you're thinking and feeling. Yeah, it's and weird. a bit of education for the fighters. Yeah. What do the journos actually want? Mate, I'm telling you because I genuinely don't think that boxers realise that. And we would have been in the same room, obviously playing very vastly, wildly different roles, but everyone wants to get something from it. And I don't feel like boxers really know what we're after sometimes I feel like they think they're just under the cosh the whole time and just don't want to say anything and really it's an opportunity for boxers isn't it the, mm. pre- the press conference is a massive opportunity for them also we should stress as well that book that Matthew Saad Mohammed book if you're into boxing biographies one of the best out there mm. and who knows maybe we'll see a film of it one day do you know what would that would help our push to get into Hollywood well we if we had a lot of elite el- club members elite club members yes yeah, and if you hit the follow button in the podcast app that's exactly what you become and that's going to boost us towards Hollywood we'll have a review yeah. a good one five star review we've had some good ones recently actually you can reach us on our GG Boxing Club socials which is on Instagram Twitter and TikTok yeah email us if you're feeling a little bit more lucid and you want to just hit us with some longer comments we read them all we do new addition to the socials I want a voice note yes into our Instagram page you can do it and once we get them in then they're going to start rolling through they're going to be playing we're playing on the show they'll be on the show don't make me fake it one of my mates (laughs) sending us a note and then pretending it's you know a loyal elite club member fan doing a voice and hit us with your suggestions for the playlist as well and if you want to find that it's on Spotify check out The Ring Walk have we got anything else to say George on the music front the playlist yeah so uh, you can also listen to this podcast ad free on Amazon oh, Music that'll be fun it? no ads whatsoever are we back next Wednesday so this is a two pod week but we're back to regular programming next week aren't we so this one came out Thursday deck but next week we are back as usual Wednesday who are we with we are with the one and only Isaac Chamberlain boom the Chamberlain of secrets I feel like we've got a great feature coming up it sounds like there's going to be the best feature yeah. yet like, well, we know we said but this one could be number one mm. numero uno Isaac Chamberlain he's in he's joined the club Expelliarmus 